Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by my friend and tire, Phil Awani. I caught up with Phil during the holidays. Phil shared his fly fishing journey. We discussed fly tying and fly design. And Phil shared his tips for hustling pool and foosball to support your fly fishing habit. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And a shout out to this episode's sponsor. This episode's sponsored by our friends at the Fly Fishing Show. The 2023 season kicks off in Marlboro on January 20th and then heads to Edison, Atlanta, Denver, Pleasanton, and Lancaster. Bob Clouser has come out of retirement, and the Atlanta show is now a three-day event. It should be a great time. For dates, ticket and class info, and other event details, head over to www.flyfishingshow.com. Now, on to our interview. Well, Phil, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation this evening, and we have a tradition on the Articulate Fly. We'd like to ask all of our guests to share their earliest fishing memory. Well, let's see. I was three years old, and my father had taught, uh, taken me to this little lake in Washington, D.C., and gave me this cane pole. And I remember with a little bobber, <clears throat> and I caught this, what, I, what appeared to be a huge catfish. It was, uh, I remember I didn't have a shirt on, and I hugged it to my body. It was almost as large as me. But hey, you have to realize, at three years old, I wasn't that tall. Anyway, my father loved fishing. You know, he was in Kona and always fished. So he kind of put that on me. So that's how I started. Yeah, very, very neat. And so when did you come to the dark side of fly fishing? You know what? It was, uh, that was, it took a while. You know, I started, uh, I started, uh, fly fishing back in 1996. And, uh, my, um, my friend had, I, I moved from Hawaii to uh, Colorado in 1995. And so what I did was I, um, first thing I did was look for a lake, you know, I could fish. And then I went there and I went to Stanley Lake since I live in Westminster. And these old guys were fishing, you know, and I was watching them wade out in the, you know, into the lake and casting as far as they could. And I said, oh. I says, uh, and they were the ones catching the most and the largest fish. And I said, well, those are the people I want to ask questions to. So I asked them, well, why are you walking so far out and casting so far out? You know, they would say, well, because that's the, where the drop-off is, and that's where the fish cruise, and the big ones are there. And the and the little stalkers are cold because all the kids are throwing rocks into the water and scaring them away. So I said, so what kind of bait do you use? And they said, well, <clears throat> we use power bait. And I said, what is power bait? And so they showed me it was out of a little bottle, you know, all different colors and stuff. And I said, really? And I said, these trout will eat those things? And they said, yep. So anyway, that's that's how I started fishing for trout anyway in, in um, Colorado. <clears throat> and then I would tell my, uh, I went to this church and my I met a guy named Jeff Bever. And he said, he said, well, what did you do this weekend? Did you kill a lot of trout? And I said, well, you know what? I, I, I can tell you, I, not only did, we catch, I, did I catch my but but my kids caught theirs and their and friends caught theirs. So yeah, we, we caught our limit. And, and then every time we went to, uh, you know, I saw my church, he said the same thing. And I said, aren't you getting tired of killing those poor trout? And I said, 
Well, to be honest with you, I don't take them anymore because all my neighbors don't want trout anymore because I've given them too much and they're freezing them. And, you know, and I said, trout, trout don't taste that good anyway after you've, uh, for, uh, you've put them in the freezer. So I just put them back now. He said, well, don't you, he says, maybe you want to fish something a little bit more challenging than powder bait fishing. I said, you know what? I fished every way possible. I've, I've fished off the reef. I fished lakes. I fished, I've trolled for tuna and stuff like that. So, you know what? I just love to, I love to fish. I don't care how it is. He said, well, okay. He said, well, I want to tell you that fishing is much more challenging than, than uh, power bait fishing. I said, well, okay, I, I can go for that. He said, well, he said, I don't want you to be disappointed if it takes you a long time to catch a fish. And I said, well, how long did it take you to catch a fish? He said, I probably went 15 or 20 times before you caught a, before I caught a fish on a fly. I said, what? I says, well, I can tell you this right now, Jeff, if it takes me that long, I'll be a power bait fisherman for the rest of my life. And I said, well, why didn't you, uh, didn't you get any VHS or didn't you get any classes? He said, no, I've tried to figure it out myself. Well, you know, after 20 times, I would think that you would have figured out that you couldn't figure it out. And he said, well, <laughs> you know what? I, I eventually, I said, I, eventually I catch a fish. I said, okay. Well, anyway, I give you three chances, three fishing uh excursions to for me to catch one fish on a on a fly so we went up to the big thompson which is in estes park and he put on an elk here caddis which of course i didn't know what it was <clears throat> and then i caught four brown trout on a dry and i i, I realized that this is challenging i really was quite i felt quite lucky that i caught a fish you know because of uh i didn't know what i was doing i was lucky to even get the fly away from me and uh you know after that i mean it was like it was like uh i, I was hooked no pun intended. And uh, so that was 26 years ago, and I'm still doing it. So now I'm, I'm totally uh, addicted to fly fishing and fly tying. Yeah, fair enough. And so, you know, obviously it's been 26 years. And, you know, who are mm-hmm. some of the folks? And you live in a great place to fly fish. So, you know, oh, it is. yeah, for sure. And so who are some of the folks that have mm-hmm. mentored you on your fly fishing journey? And what do they teach you? Yeah, well, um, well, my first mentor, of course, was Jeff, and he I still tie with him at, at some of the fly tying events. But Rick Takahashi really kind of took me under his wing, and uh, I'll talk about him a little bit later, and you have a, you know one of the questions that address that more d- directly. But you know people that you know I totally respect is, of course, Rick Takahashi and <clears throat> Landon Mayer and Pat Doxey and the late um, – uh, Dave Whitlock and Jack Dennis and, and those guys, you know, people that, you know, tr- promote the industry and, uh, you know, are really involved. And of course, they're all great people. So, you know, they, they they taught me how to, you know, present, you know, do presentations and do demos because I used to go and watch them and just to kind of see how it goes and stuff like that. And then, um, and, and then, um, you know, Rick, Rick told me, got me in my, got me uh, involved in, tying at a, fl- a fly shop you know hit the f- fly shop that he actually worked at <clears throat> and i and he kind of gave me the insight on how to prepare for it you know so anyway <clears throat> it was um you know so i don't look like a buffoon when i'm doing it you know and and i saw i've seen a lot of a lot of people struggle at demos you know i always say fly sh- fly show uh, fly shows are easy because you can tie anything you want. But if you tie at a fly shop, you have to, you know, you figure you got to tie 10 to 11 flies in two hours. So you have to keep moving. And um, anyway, it was, um, that's kind of where I 
Uh, that's kind of um, Rick probably had the most influence on me because he not only did get you know, got me involved in tying at shops and shows, but he also you know g- gave me the the how to, um, and and uh, so I could do it most effectively. He also has that great nature of trying to help people. He's always he's he's a good person to watch. Uh, same thing with uh, Landon Mayer. He does a great demo. So does Pat Dorsey, Charlie Craven. You know the the the, um, the people that are high high, high in the highest uh, highest uh, hierarchy of fly tires they they just do it well you know and so I just watch them you know trying to get that um you know just to kind of follow the way they do it and you know uh, one thing about you know <clears throat> Rick and Pat they have the history so they can talk about you know things that before I was even involved in fly fishing you know they they have they know all the the people that I don't know, or I, I, I might have learned about them, you know, after I got into it for a while, like the Dave Whitlock and Jack Dennis and those guys. But you know, there are people that I'll know. Of course, Gary Lafontaine, I didn't know him, which I would love to have met him. Um, but yeah, yeah, those are kind of the mentors that you know, and people that I've looked at, you know, and uh, respect because of what they've done in fly fishing and fly tying. So that's kind of. That's kind of it. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good list. And so how long after your power bait days did it take you to become interested in fly tying? You know what? It seemed like the natural thing to do, you know, because, you know, I, first of all, I thought I was going to save money by tying my own flies, you know, which, of course, is a fallacy. You know, as I look at all my stuff I have in my in my my flying basement you know uh, i i remember my wife asked me so phil you must have at least four or five hundred dollars worth of stuff fly fishing fly time material i said honey that's about right <laughs> you know and i was trying i was just looking at my uh, my collection of hackle Phil, and yeah. i'm thinking gosh and i was buying them at retail so i was thinking that's a hundred. That's a hundred. A hundred. That's a hundred. That's one hundred and twenty-five dollars. That's a hundred. I said, "Wow!" I mean, I have a lot of them, you know. So I probably have like, I don't know, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars worth of hackle. And then I look at my four drawers of hooks, you know. I said, "Well, that was ex- that's expensive, you know." I said, "So I kind of figured I must have about I don't know." Ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollars worth of fly tying stuff. <laughs> anyway, it, yeah, it, it it's been a it's been actually a fun journey. I've enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, your secret's safe with me, by the way. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> unless everybody listens on the podcast and they say, "Hey, Pat, do you know that your your husband has spent fifteen thousand dollars on fly tying material?" And she says, "He told me five hundred. I said, "Well, you know, <laughs> slight." Uh, underestimating uh, my my money I spent, you know, but it was over a long period of time, so it doesn't really count, you know, it's like all at one time, it was over, and I used to tell her, well, you know what, at least I'm not drinking and taking drugs, but that didn't fly after the first, you know, couple of months of telling her that, she said, you know, that doesn't really work anymore, because, you know, you don't do that anyway, so what does it matter, and, and, and I said, well, you know, just think, I, I, it could be that. I could be drinking and, and, and taking drugs. He says, no, I wouldn't have married you if you were doing that. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so it, it's it's all good, you know. So <clears throat> I'm glad my secret is is good with you because if, if you meet my wife, you're going to say, oh, yeah, Phil, Phil's the only guy I knew who hardly spent about like $500 worth on fly tying material. And she'll say, oh, yeah, that's what he told me before. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a, a pro tip, folks. That's why I'm very, very loyal to Winston because I just have green rye tubes, and my wife doesn't know how many of them I have. <laughs> there you go. So oh, that's the, that's the same that's the same rye tube. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all green, aren't they? Yeah, they're they're all nine foot five weights. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of the uh, that's the progression of fly tying for me. I'm just what started at a little as little thing just kind of grew, and all my friend would friends would tell me, "Oh, Phil, you got to tie this fly. You got to tie that fly. You got to tie this fly." And I says, "Well, you know." So I would I would go out and spend forty fifty dollars on material and tie it and then fish it, and I w- wouldn't catch that many fish. And I said, "Well." I said, well, how many fish do you catch with this fly on a good day? And if the fish are there, oh, maybe six or seven. I said, really? And they said, yeah, yeah, that's a good fly. I said, well, I'm, I'm thinking for, I'm thinking that it should be a lot more fish if I spend 50 or $60 on one fly. And they said, well, you know, it's fly fishing. You know, it's not catching, it's fly fishing. I said, okay, all right. Yeah. So after that, I would always ask that question. I say, well, I mean, on a good day, how many fish do you catch with this fly? And they say, oh, you know, five or six fish. And I say, okay. And I wouldn't go to the fly shop and buy material because that's not enough money. I mean, that's not enough fish, and the money is too much for the the, uh, the reward. So anyway, that's, yeah. that's what I after after a few few years after spending too much money, that's the question I would ask: Is it on a good day if the fish are there? How many fish do you catch with this fly? Six, seven, eight. Yeah. 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 And then you go, well, I caught three times that many on a San Juan worm. So there you go. (laughs) On a hook wrapped with wire. Yeah. (laughs) So, so what was your, yeah. So what was your first vice? It was a Dynaking. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a rotary. Yeah. And do you remember the first pattern you tied on it? Oh, of course it was the pheasant tail and then a hair. So, you know, that's, that was, uh, that uh, size 16. And, uh, I remember when I was fishing, uh, uh, Cheeseman Canyon, I met this guy, this Asian guy and, uh, he, he, he was fishing these little flies, you know, and we were just watching him and we thought we were good fishermen because we were catching, you know, 10 fish a day before the Hayman fire, which, I mean, there were fish everywhere, huge fish everywhere. And he was catching one fish after another. So when he finally got out of the water, I said, well, you know, I've never seen anybody catch that many fish in my life. I said, any any possible way I've never seen that. And, and the guy says, well, you know, I, he says, let me see what you're fishing. So you're fishing uh, pheasant tails and hares here, size 16. I said, yeah. I said, well, we, I fish smaller flies. So it happened to be RS2s. It was rim chung. And, and I said, Oh, I says, will the fish actually take something that small? He said, that's what they eat, you know. And he said, they seem to do pretty good without a strike indicator. I mean, why would you need a strike indicator when you're fishing 18 inches of the water? And I said, well, that makes sense. <clears throat> and he says, you just drift through the fish and they'll eat it. So he he, he uh, showed me, and of course, he caught a fish, like I think, on the first or second drift. And that's amazing. So here, you try. And so I tried it, and I think it took me three or four um, presentations, and I got one, too. And I said, oh. That makes total sense to me. So, for the most part, I I did I stopped fishing with an indicator, especially when I'm fishing shallower water. And uh, yeah, I didn't even know who he was. I, I, and later on, maybe I don't know, ten years later, he was tying at the West Denver Trout Unlimited fly uh, fly um, 
fishing event. And it was, and I said, Hey, Jeff, isn't that that guy we met in Cheeseman Canyon like 10 years ago? He said, Oh, yeah. And he says, Oh, he's kind of famous. I mean, and at that time I knew what an RS2 was, but at the time I didn't. And I said, Oh, that's Room Chunk. So I went up to him and I said, Oh, you were uh, you were kind enough to uh, give us some instruction and, and 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 show us the flies to use and stuff like that. Of course, he didn't remember me and he didn't know who I was. And I said, "Well, that he said that was many years ago. I can't remember that kind of stuff." <laughs> anyway, so now it was amazing as we fish together all the time, which is kind of cool, you know. So we we have this good uh, repertoire. Uh, you know, we just go banter back and forth like he's my older brother. We just kind of tease each other, and and he'll say, "So." What are you What are you fishing up there, Phil? I said I'm not fishing an RS2. That's why I'm catching fish. And he said, What are you using that stupid Mitch pattern of yours? The uh, that No Mercy Mitch or something? I said, Well, yeah, that's why I'm catching fish. And so he gets a big kick out of that. You know, it's like he's 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 funny as can be, and he's of course a great fly fisherman. So anyway, yeah, <clears throat> yeah you just yeah, that's kind of the. Um, that's kind of what yeah, and that yeah. So I'm I'm uh, yeah. So my first. Uh, Vice was a Dyna King, and my first two flies I tied was a, a pheasant tail and a hare's ear. Yeah, very very neat. And so, what do you tie on today? I have a Renzetti, so I'm I'm uh, I'm on their pro team. I just got uh, uh, accepted, so I'm I figure I better tie with the Vice that I'm representing. So I'm tying with a Renzetti. So I have a Master Vice. It's a great it's a great Vice. So anyway, yeah, very, very neat. Yeah. yeah. And so who are some of the tires that you follow or, or who have influenced you and what have you learned from them? Well, well, of course, Rick Takahashi is the number one because, you know, he, he, he had mercy on me when I first started, I was pretty, pretty average at the best, you know, and then, uh, and then of course I, you know, I met Pat Dorsey and Landon and Charlie, Charlie Craven and, um, Jack Dennis and uh, Landon, Dave Whitlock, um, Eric Pettine, Ed Berg, Scott Stisser, and 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 the reason I liked them so much is they were always very professional, and they knew entomology, and they they were just really they're really good with people, and, and even though people you know ask them stupid questions, they always are gracious and you know answer answer with kindness, even though they can say. What's a whip finish? What's a whip finisher? <laughs> you know, it's just it's the thing you use to tie knots. It's, oh, okay, but yeah, they they were just uh, and obviously those guys are like one of the they're the best tires that you know I've ever seen. So and they're and they're kind of historical. They've been doing it for quite a while. I don't know about Land. I think he's still pretty young. But you know, Jack Dennis and Dave Whitlock passed away just recently. And he was a great guy. And then Landon, uh, and then Eric Patin's been tying for quite a while, and Ed Burke also. So Scott Stisser is an excellent tire, and you know he ties salmon flies and stuff. I can't even begin to try to tie. But yeah, that, I think the knowledge of entomology that they actually study it, the kindness to people, you know that that come to their events and the demos and their tying are of course unquestioned. So yeah, I I. And then Rick, of course, he taught uh, taught me all the ropes, like you know, um, like when you're tying, you know, tying like ten or eleven uh, flies at in two hours, you have to be really organized. And so what he did was he showed me. I call it the box system, which means that every fly that you're going to tie, you put all the materials that for that particular fly in a plastic box, even the bobbins, says, you know. 
with the thread so you don't have to be looking around for you know your bobbins and stuff like that you open up the box and everything is there even the hackle so you size the hackle so you don't pull out a, a battle and try to find the right sized ones you know you already pre-do that and the other thing that rick taught me was even though i've tied these flies you know thousands of times <clears throat> that even now what i do is prior to the demo I will, I will tie every fly in the order in which I, you know, in, in the order in which I do the recipe. I, you know, so I do, uh, Rick said, well, you always have to do recipes, you know. What I've done is I've done, um, I do a colored, a colored uh, uh, picture of the uh, fly I'm t- going to tie. And then I have the recipe right next to it because I, I, I watch people as they're, somebody demo and they're trying to draw a picture of what the fly looks like and while they're doing that they don't they're not paying attention to how you tie the fly so i try to i try to get all the things that are distractions away from the people that are watching and and rick would always say well phil i wouldn't do a colored photo that costs money Uh, and i always laugh i said rick if I if I was doing this for money, I wouldn't be doing it because you don't make any money doing it unless you're, you know, kind of famous. And even then, it's not like you're making millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know. So I said, okay. So I said, well, I'm going to do it the best way I know because I think I owe it to the people that come to my demos to do the best job I can and make it as easy as possible. And so, you know, I can move from one fly to the next fly with the next fly to the next fly and be seamless. And, and and Rick taught me that. And so when I go to some demos and watching, I'll tell you, some some pretty good tires, they're just struggling. They're looking for, oh, yeah, where's that bead? And then they can't find the right color. And they'll say something like, well, you know, pretend this is a copper bead, even though it's a black bead. And then and they say, oh, pretend this is a grizzly hackle, uh, but I don't have one. So I'm going to use a dun hackle, you know. And so all of a sudden it gets people confused and you know, it makes you look like you're not prepared for it. So, you know, just preparation, I think, is like anything. It's it prevents poor performance. <laughs> so, that and that's what Rick taught me. So, you know, I feel like you know, I I do a, a very good demo. You know, people seem to like it. You know, when I'm doing it, and I do it for all levels. Like <clears throat> I've been doing, you know, um, demos and classes for Project Healing Waters. You know, and so you know, they have beginning classes and intermediate and advanced and you know, so I, I try to make it so it's understandable and easy for them, you know, because a lot of them are just starting and I just don't want them to be wondering what is going on here. You know, this is way too hard. So I just try to make everything easy for people because you have all different levels of people that are tying, you know, so you want to make it easy as possible. Yeah. And so uh, what's your secret to getting Maldonado to behave himself when he sits next to you? It's impossible. It's impossible. It's like it's it's like trying to herd cats. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no. Steve is Steve is amazing. Steve Steve is an amazing tire. Um, I met him seven years ago at the fly fishing show in Denver, and he came up to me and I used my my line. I said, "Can I show you a, a fly that's easy to tie and catches a lot of fish?" And we just he said, "You know what? I'm just starting. Would you?" Would would you want to go fishing with me? And I said, sure, I'll go fishing with you. I think the next week we went to Eleven Mile Canyon, and uh, and and now look at him; he's an animal. I mean, he ties so well; it's amazing. He, and he ties large flies too, he's tying streamers that they're using, you know, in in South America to catch peacock bass and and golden dorado and stuff like that. I mean, it's 
he makes it look so simple. But yeah, he's he's a he's one he's my best friend. He's yeah. one of my best friends. So we fish a lot together. Yeah, he's not a bad cook either. No, he's <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You 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 got to sample his wares, right? Yeah, he's he Steve, anything Steve focuses on, he's good at. You know, he's like one of uh, Southwest best mechanics, you know, and I mean, like you said, he's you give him a piece of meat and he can make that thing fly you know and 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 fly tying fly fishing whatever he does he he does well so anyway yeah that's my buddy steve maldonado yeah there you go and you know i always Mm -hmm. like to ask guys that are really serious about tires for us mere mortals um Mm -hmm. if you can share a couple tips to help us up our tying game sure sure so what you know what i do is i um you know because when you're tying it you know, shows or shops, you know, they have that big three by six, three by five screen above your head. And I imagine myself tying and every thread wrap is, is it looks like a piece of rope that hang around a, a hook. And, and if you overlap it, it looks like you've made a huge mistake. You're tying in material. It looks like you're making a huge mistake. So I always envision myself when I'm tying that uh, there's a big screen above my head and that that all the people in the you know the uh, the ND are going to cr- uh, critique my flies after I'm done with it and they say well yeah Phil it looks pretty good except you overlapped that one one wrap of thread and it looked like you overlapped a huge piece of rope so that's kind of, that's one thing uh, that I do and then a lot of people you know they they don't have um Maybe they don't have the best material. They kind of, you know, because, you know, if you have to pay retail, it gets to be expensive. But I really believe that you should, you know, you should get the best material you can get. You know, so like for me, I tie a lot of smaller flies. So, you know, Whiting Farms has a midge saddle that uh, that you could tie if you were crazy enough. You could tie size 32 midges with, you know, parachutes with it because the, uh, the, the fibers on the hackle are so small. And I tie a lot of 22s and 24s and things like that. So, you know, if you use a normal saddle or a normal hackle, the fibers are so long that it, it completely engulfs the fly and it just doesn't look natural. So, uh, and all with tools, I mean, like vices, you know, you should get a, as the best vice that you can get that you can afford. And the same thing with tools like scissors and whip finishers and all the things that you need to tie a fly. There's nothing worse than having bad scissors because you, when you cut it, it doesn't cut correctly. It almost like folds, folds the material before it finally cuts it. So I would say, you know, your scissors, your, you know, your uh, vice, all the things that you use all the time. They, the, if you can afford a really good one, you know, do it. But you know, it's kind of hard sometimes with the cost of some of these, uh, you know, the vices and stuff like that. That you know, to 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 go for it. And I said, well. Get a good one, you know, get something that holds the hook without moving, um, that type of thing, because it's nothing more frustrating to ping a hook when you put it in and it just slips and it shoots out somewhere and somewhere down the line you find it in your foot or your sock or something, you know. So, and then, and, and, uh, and then uh, materials like if you're tying deer hair, you know, use, um, use, um, you know, uh, good deer hair, you know, from like nature spirit has the best, I think has the best deer hair. Uh, if you're getting CDC, the same thing. So, you know, get the material that, you know, that is, 
good, you know, because it's going to go a long ways. So it, it, it's going to fulfill your need as far as flight time. You know, you're not going to always say, boy, this is really junky, junky material here, and I can't even tie it in, that type of thing. And and thread, get, get good thread, too. I mean, all that is kind of, and dubbing, you know, get the right dubbing for that particular fly. It, it's mostly just, you know, looking at what you're doing and planning it, you know, so, you know, you have the right materials and things like that. But, yeah, I think when you start cutting corners, I think it actually makes it difficult, you know. Like, I watch people, you know, trying to cut material with it, you know, bad scissors, you know, and they can't cut it or it cuts it ragged. And I said, well, you know, I said, scissors are pretty important. You know, you can get a pair of scissors for, you know, 15 or $20 and it'll be a good pair. And like Dr. Slick has really good razor scissors and stuff like that. So I'm just thinking, you know, you know, I don't know. It's like if you're a carpenter, you know, why would you get lousy, you know, saws and lousy miter saws and things like that when when that's what you do for a living kind of a thing. So I just say get get the best material that you can, best tools that you can, you know, because it, in the long run, you know, it's going to last longer anyway, like especially vices and tools. And, and if you're, you're not if it's the right one you know, then you're not going to be, you know, buying it again and again and again or saying, oh, I've outlived this one. I'm I'm better and this isn't fulfilling my needs anymore. So I think good material and, and good equipment makes a big difference. It just makes it more fun to tie when everything is doing, you know, working as it should. Yeah. And don't let your wife and kids use your scissors. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> And don't cut wire with your good scissors either, yeah. or or don't drop them on the floor because invariably it it, it always lands on its point and it it, it uh, and then it has a dent in it or it has a bend that's not supposed to be there. So anyway, it's like Murphy's law. You know, if you drop a pair of scissors, they're always going to land on its point. Yeah, uh, game over. And so you know, we talked a little bit yeah. about standard tools, but what's the most uh-huh. unusual tying tool that you use that you can't live without? Okay, so I was thinking about this, you know, and could I not live without it? Well, if you're if you're um, if you're using a dubbing loop on CDC, there's a there's a a, a man named Mark Pettigene, and he has this dubbing clip, and he's got this dubbing tool that captures the fibers of CDC, which is almost it's very difficult when you don't have it. So if you're if you're spinning and, and using dubbing loops with CDC, uh, his his uh, CDC dubbing clip and his dubbing tools, you know, it makes it so much easier instead of fumbling around, dropping all the fibers and then having to do it over and over again. So that's that's a really when I saw that that uh, tool, I said, oh, that's another thing I need to buy. You know, so anyway. Anyway, it's it, 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 some of the people that come up with these tools have really thought about it because you know obviously you have to manufacture it and you got to do enough units to make it profitable or while and and to think about how they come up with basically solutions to problems that you would have in fly tying and then coming up with something special that you know takes care of that you know so yeah that that I think is pretty pretty unique unique uh tool that if you're if you're using dubbing loops for cdc you really can't go with you can't do without it because it makes it so much more simple and uh, and it's it's not one of those with that you won't say i would never spend uh cdc ever again because it's too difficult so I, i would say of all the tools that are have been invented i think that's one of the more 
you know, unique uh, and, and problem-solving tools that make it much easier to tie. Yeah, got it. And do you have a favorite material you like to work with? I do. I do. Well, to me, Whiting Farms makes the, you know, they, they breed the, you know, the, the roosters and the chickens for the hackle. And uh, they are the only ones that have midge hackle, which is the fibers are so small that you can easily tie, you know, 22s and 24 uh, um, mayflies. And then Nature Spirit does CDC, and it's so good. And they also do um, deer hair, which is the fibers are all kind of perfect they're not kinky and everything so when you're tying uh, you know deer hair flies it, it just makes it so much easier and the cdc is so good and i use cdc a lot for my no mercy mitch and uh and uh it just you know i've tried other materials it's just not as i mean it just i mean that you can breed these these um you know these uh, uh roosters and chickens to produce a certain type of of hackle you know, and it's amazing. I mean, this hackle is so small that when you do a parachute on a size 24, it does, it's not oversized. And I don't know any, any other hackle com- company like Tom Whiting is the, is the mad scientist who comes up with all these great, great, um, you know, genetics to these types of uh, these roosters and hens that, uh, that produce these hackle, this hackle, like the saddles are amazing. You know, they're like, I don't know, 12 inches long and you can tie many flies with just one saddle. and i was talking to a friend of mine who used to work for tom uh, tom writing you know at whiting farms and he said oh yeah we were trying to get as little saddle as we possibly could get and uh, so we created saddles that were so long they dragged on the ground and of course it was hard to sell them because you know they were damaged. The ends were damaged. I said, "So what did you do? Did you breed the the the, um, the roosters to have shorter uh, saddles?" He said, "Of course not. That's what we wanted them to be long as possible. We just genetically changed the rooster to have longer legs." And I said, "Really?" <laughs> so you know, I'm, I'm when they still had their um, their pro team. I was on the Whiting Farms pro team, so I went. Uh, I went and we toured the we toured the facility. It was amazing, and and I used to think that how could hackle cost so much? But when you see how much is involved, you actually think it's pretty reasonable, especially when you're trying to, you know, tie dry flies and things like that. You know, it's, it, I mean, nothing. It's nothing compared to it. You know, I sh- at at demos, I always show people. They said, well, how can you tie something so small when the hackle is so long? You know, the fibers. And I said, well, just have to get mid saddles, and all the fly shops, you know, sell them. So you, it's not like you can't get them. So anyway. Yeah, it's just money, Phil. It's only money, you know. <laughs> all you have to do is you have to have a better, you have to have a good job so you can afford this uh, addiction, you know, that you have, you know. And so he said, oh, it's only $130, you know, and I can tie so many flies with it. So I don't have to spend that kind of money for another couple of years, you know. And, and solar res, as far as resin, UV resin is excellent. I, I I use it a lot, you know, for my no mercy midge and my and the extended body uh, extended body on my mayflies and things like that. So it's it's an amazing product. So those are the things that those are those are the main things that you know because I use them all the time. You know that is important to me. Yeah. So even if I had to pay retail for the you know the the midge hackle, I would. So yeah, because I don't know how else you could do it. Well, I mean, and the reality is for most people, you could literally buy one of those midge saddles, 
tie on it for your entire mm-hmm. life and your grandchildren could tie flies on it. There you go. There you go. Something you leave as an inheritance to you. So, and to Johnny, I leave my mid, mid saddles. Uh, have fun tying uh, small uh, mayflies. They wouldn't, they probably wouldn't be very, they would say, well, you know, I'd rather have the money, not the, not the hackle. I said, well, anyway, yeah. I said, well, if, Sell it, sell it to Marvin Cash. He'll buy it. There you go. And, you know, it's funny, too, right? Because you have a couple of patterns with Umpqua, and I was really kind of curious, you know, the mm-hmm. fishing problems you were trying to solve, Phil, with the Awani Paradun and the No Mercy Midge. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the main thing for me is I want to catch fish. And when I, I so I designed the Mayfly for Cheeseman Canyon. I would I'd be fishing Cheeseman Canyon with a standard Mayfly pattern, which is nothing it doesn't look anything like the real the natural so uh you know i'd watch the fish back down when i'm presenting the fly and then it would go underwater or it would take it but there was no telling if they were going to do either one so i said i wonder why you know and and of course i make sure that the size is correct you know because if your si- the size of your mayfly is not correct there you're not going to get very many strikes so i i i I, I sand and got like four or five mayflies from the river and I put them in a tube, you know, and I took them home and under the magnifying glass, I looked at them and then I looked at my mayflies, the standard mayfly pattern. And I said, wow, that's not even close, you know, you know, cause the standard uh, mayfly pattern, you know, has a dubbed abdomen, a dubbed thorax. It usually has four or five of the fibers from a, from a, from a hackle piece, a hackle. And I said, well, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, I mean, they're just either there are two, they have two tails or three tails, but they don't have five or six. And so I, so I said, well, maybe if I designed a, um, a mayfly that looked more like the real thing that I might get more fish. And so the problem was, you know, for as many fish rising in the river and as many guns that are floating down the river, I mean, you would think that your pattern should, you know, whatever pattern you were using should catch you know, quite a few fish, you know, and, and of course, assuming that your presentation is correct, because if you don't have a good presentation, you're driving your flash, you're not going to catch many fish anyway. So, so that, so that's what I did. I went, I went home and I, I you know, looked under a high powered magnifying glass and looked at it. And I said, Whew. I said, maybe if I could somehow figure out, you know, how to tie a fly that looked more like that. And so I'd look online and stuff like that and, and, and see, well, did anybody come up with anything, you know, anything that looked like the real thing? And, and they hadn't. And, you know, they had some drakes, which is a large mayfly, and they used to use foam as, as the extended body. But, I mean, you can't use a foam, a foam um, abdomen on a size 22, you know, mayfly. It's just too big. And so I just, oh, with a material that might work. And so I just I just uh, came up with monofilament for the um, you know for the extended body, and and picked a 2488 um, Tiemco 2488 hook, which has a short straight shank, which would allow me to have an extended body, you know, longer you know to match the standard mayfly pattern because. I mean, size, the size on a mayfly is the most, one of the most important things. And even when you design flies, you have to make sure it's truly the size of the insect that's on the water. <clears throat> so, so I said, well, how can I use a standard you know, dry fly hook and have an extended body? Because it's going to be way too long, and it's not going to be a size 16. It's going to be more like a 12 or something. And so, that, so I 
found the TMCO2488, which was perfect. I could, was able to add an extended body with a monofilament that would give it the same length as a standard 16. And I, so after, you know, I hadn't perfected it, but enough I could fish it. So I went and fished it, a, you know, a, a week or so later. And darned if I didn't catch a lot of fish that way, you know. So and then I just thought, well, you know what, let me see if I can really get this t- dialed in. And, uh, you know, so I came up with this, you know, I just kind of figured out how to do it. And I had always wanted to, you know, have a pattern with Umqua because, you know, I I think, well, if I I could get a pattern that's accepted by Umqua, I I feel like I've made it in the fly tying industry. (laughs) So, so, uh, but the first one I... uh, the first one I uh, turned was my No Mercy Niche, and they didn't, they didn't pick that up. They picked it up later on, but not that wasn't my first one that they picked up. And so I turned in my Iwani Dun, um, Paradun, and uh, sure enough, they picked that up. I submitted it in November, probably November 27th or something, and I was and then uh, I was tying at the um, the um, fly shop they have a party like the first part of december and then uh josh, josh grantham from umqua said oh you're the guy who ties that extended body mayfly and i said oh yeah 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 oh we accepted it what do you mean you accepted it? i just turned it in like last week he said oh no 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 we uh gave student who was um uh was the fly fly specialist he said ran into the you know ran into the uh our room and said look at this but what the big deal about it is we tie small extended body mayflies using this technique. And to be honest with you, you can tie, you know, you can tie any size. Once you get the technique down, you can tie any type of mayfly, anything from as small as a trico to a green drake using the same exact technique. So anyway, that was, that was my, that was my, uh, that was a fly that really kind of, you know, they, they, they picked up really quick and, uh, and, um, they, so Umqua has been around for now 51 years, but their 50th anniversary, what they did is they came up with all the, uh, you know, flies that were, they considered, you know, innovative and something a little bit different. And, and, and they, and Rick told me, Oh, congratulations. I said, what for? He said, Oh, you, don't you know, you, you're, you're, you want gun made the, most significant flies of their 50-year history. I said, oh, come on. Where's that at? And he, and he said, oh, it's in their catalog. I said, no. I, he says, he said, yeah, go look for it. And I said, where is it? And he says, it's kind of like, it's on a big kind of a, a, a four-page fold-out. And, uh, and I said, there it is. You know, they had it by decades. And I said, holy cow. I mean, you got, you know, Gary LaFontaine's Caddis uh, Patterns and Jack Dennis and you know, his Amy's aunt and John Barr, of course, with his zillions of flies that he's he's created and Lance Egan and Charlie Craven and all these guys. I'm saying, holy cow, look at us. I, I'm, I'm rubbing elbows with the greats here, you know. So I, I was, I'm, I'm totally humbled because you never think that a fly that you tie is going to be kind of um, – make make the big time so to speak yeah, <laughs> but, yeah for sure really neat and so what was the fishing problem with the no mercy midge well you know what i wanted to do is i wanted a fly that i didn't have to keep changing you know like everybody keeps changing the flyers they're fishing and i wanted a fly that i could just tie and i could fish all day so uh, what i did was i was at 11 mile canyon and I sang the river and, and to look at the, the midges that there were, were prevalent in that river. 
And I, I, I so again, I put them in a tube. I took it home and looked at it. And what I did was I do I as closely as possible. I duplicated it because I didn't want to. I fish in the winter time, and I it, it's a pain trying to change flies when it's so cold. As you know, I took you out on a cold day, and uh, and anyway, but so like my friend Rim, he you know he fishes two flies, an RS two different colors, different sizes. And he has another flight called the avatar, which is a midge, which is a midge uh, pattern. And, and he hardly, I mean, he changes it a lot because he, he wants a certain size and, you know, a certain color and everything like that. But I didn't want to keep changing flies out all the time. So that's what I saw. So it was, I just wanted something that was easy to tie, you know, and, and I didn't have to change all the time. And midges are always in water, you know, all through the year. And so, you know, I, I tied that up, you know, and I, tr- I started fishing it, you know, like 11 or 12 years ago. And I mean, I was, I was killing them and I didn't even have a name for it, but I was fishing with a friend of mine and we we're fishing the blue. And it was one of those days where I was catching, it seemed like one fish after another. And he said, what are you fishing down there, Phil? I says, I had this midge pattern I came up with, you know? And he said, well, you should call it a no mercy midge. And I thought, well, that's kind of corny, you know? I says, I wonder if it would stick, you know? And so when I turned in the fly, they finally accepted it. And and I, I called it my no mercy midge and it stuck, you know? So right now, I mean, a lot of people fish that fly because it, it just works, you know? And I've, I've caught I mean, I've caught thousands and thousands and thousands of fish on that pattern. So I know it works and I don't have to change them out. You know, everybody's changing flies. And I said, well, you know what? I have a saying, if your flies aren't in the water, you're not catching fish. So if you're constantly changing your pattern, you know, I says, well, you know, while you're changing it all out, you know, you're not catching fish. So that was kind of the thing. I wanted a fly that I could, you know, I could fish the, all throughout the year. And, and I know I can catch fish with it. And, uh, you know, so that it was, again, it's, again, it's a, you know, catching fish, uh, problem, you know, I wanted something that I could catch a lot of fish without changing my flies out all the time. So now, so again, again, it was just catching more fish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I fished it. It slightly works. <laughs> it slightly, slightly works. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, of course it's, it's more than just the fly. Of course, you have to have good presentation and stuff like that. So, you know, that's part of it too. You can have the you, two people can be fishing the same exact fly and one person's killing it and the other person's catching nothing. It's, you know, there's, you got to have a little bit of how to, you know, to catch fish, you know, so, but at least, you know, that if you're, if you've got good technique and you have the right fly, you know, you're going to catch more fish than, you know, a fly that's not, not, uh, you know, found in that particular river or stream. Yeah. So, yeah. And so I know, you know, Pat's got a, a new book on Colorado flies. Yeah. yeah. And I know I, mm-hmm, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I've looked at Facebook and I saw Steve and I saw uh-huh. you. So are both of your uh-huh. patterns in that book? They are not, not my no mercy image, but my Iwani done is, you know, so my mayfly pattern is, but, you know, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe my no mercy image is sexy enough, but at least, Pat had made that of his fly of the month one month, you know. So, I mean, I mean, Pat's been really good to me. I mean, he, you know, he's he's encouraged me. He was really nice to me when I didn't even know he knew my name. I was tying tying next to him at the International Sportsman's Exposition in in the uh, convention center, and uh, somebody in front of him said, "Hey." Pat, can you show me how to tie a parachute? And then he said, oh, you should ask Phil. Phil ties a much better parachute than I do. I about fell out of my stool. You know, I said, 
gosh, I didn't even know he knew my name, <laughs> you know, but things like that, that's, the, those are the, I call them random acts of kindness where they don't have to say that kind of stuff, but they do, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you just feel a little, you're, you're walking a little lighter on your feet, you know, because the people are, you know, just, and I see it all the time, you know, and I, I try to, I, always, uh, I, I just think that, you know, you should pass it on, you know, so I try to do that because, you know, encourage people and, you know, in, uh, to, to tie and stuff like that when possible. I, you know, I, um, you know, I help people out, get them in sh- at shows and stuff like that. So it's, it's, um, I mean, what, what, what good is it if you just keep everything to yourself and you don't share? Yeah. So. Yeah, it also makes it easier to tell your wife you only have four hundred dollars worth of flat time materials, right? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> I, I just I just felt an arrow go into me. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. I says, well, you know what? I'm I'm helping I'm helping uh, grin and, and uh, veterans and people just that might be drinking too much, and now I've got them tying flies and entertaining themselves different ways, you know, and that doesn't work anymore either. So I've used all my analogies and stuff. And she just says, yeah, just tell the truth that you like to spend money on fly time material. I said, no, that's true. Yeah. It's (laughs) true. It's for the kids. Um, It's all for the kids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of stepping back a little bit, right. Cause I mean, not everyone basically Mm -hmm. samples insects and goes home and creates a pattern that ends up in the (laughs) Umqua catalog. Right. Um, um, I mean, Steve does that, but you know, you and Steve. So, so mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your design philosophy around flies. Well, I, I like to think that I've, I've got some uh, amazing, uh, amazing uh, philosophy of time, but to be honest, it's, I just want to catch, I want to have an effective way to catch selective trout, the trout that won't normally take a fly, a certain type of fly. So that's what I try to do. I try to, uh, get something not only that that um, looks like the natural, but it has moving parts. Like I like to use CDC. I like to use things that move in the water that makes makes that fly look alive. So, and then of course, um, you know, you, you, you try it, you know, you have to be a, a decent fly fisher to, you know, to even test your flies out before you submit them. Cause I mean, I, I feel like if you're turning in flies that you haven't fished before, there's a little, I don't know, dishonesty in there because you're trying to get them to produce a fly that you haven't fished before. Or if you fish it, you don't catch many fish with it. So to me, it's, it's really important that, you know, as a tire that you can catch fish, it's like being a guide and not know how to catch fish. I mean, it's hard to be a guide if you don't know how to read the water, you don't know what insects are in that water. You know, it's like cat toy. She actually, I think you did a pod, I know you did a podcast with her, but she actually samples the river that she's fishing with clients ahead of time. So she makes sure that she has the right flies to use for that particular river. And and I think that's the same thing when you're, you're coming up with design, you know, coming up with different patterns that, that you actually are kind of scientific that you're saying the river and you find something that's prevalent in that particular river. And then once you tie the pattern, then you try fishing it to see if it works better than another pattern. And if it does, you, you say to yourself, well, I think I have a winner here, you know? So I think that's, um, I, I think that's the, the key is that you, you, you create a, a fly that actually works better than, than 
a better mousetrap is what you're trying to design, you know, because I always say, well, how many different ways can you tie a mayfly? How many different ways can you tie a caddis or a midge or whatever, you know? And I says, well, you know, you just have to find a characteristic that is is prevalent in that particular insect that creates a, a, a striker's trigger mechanism that makes that trout, you know, take that fly. And I think if you're using supple material, like especially CDC, it moves in the water. Like I use it for... And I have a, my No Mercy midge is a, is a midge pupa. So it looks like it has like, <clears throat> that's like the gills on the, on the, mayfl- on the um, midge. And then it also looked like an emerger, like the emerging wing. And that you're using like CDC, it, it just moves so, it's so supple. It moves in the water, you know, like it's like it's, it's alive. And a fish only has a, you know, a split second to make a decision whether or not it's going to eat it or not. So if you have something that makes it look alive, you know, you're going to have a higher probability of looking at fish. And that's kind of how I, I kind of look at the, the fly tying thing. I mean, who wants to fish a fly that doesn't work, you know? And, and you don't know if it works unless you fish it yourself and you can say, hey, you know what? I caught quite a few fish with this fly, you know, and you try it over and over again in different days, you know, just try it, give a couple to your friend, tell, hey, you know, I got anything to do, put this on and see if it works. And, you know, so you get some feedback, but mostly, you know, you're, you're just trying to catch, you know, you want an effective fly that catches fish. So that that really is more than anything is is really important, you know, important when you design flies that you're, um, you've got a pattern that works. Yeah, it's interesting because it's really almost like there's a difference between being a fly tire and being a fly designer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Right, because I mean, mm-hmm. I, I guess there are a lot of people that are very competent tires, but they're not designers. Right, 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 and and you have to be creative because if you, if you're you know if you sample the water and you get a that uh, the actual natural. Now you've got to actually tie something that looks very similar, and you've got to pick up the right, pick out the right type of material that actually moves in the water. You know that also mimics the the actual fly that you're trying to imitate, and and that's the other thing. You got to be a little creative with material, and and to make it look like, like that insect that you're trying to imitate. And I think a lot of people they just tie something, you know. And you know when people ask me, well, what do you have to do to get into umquas you know um you know catalog and i said well you got to find a fly that that catches fish because the you know once it, once you submit the fly it's not like oh we like this fly or we like phil or we like so and so so we're going to pick this fly. no it's all business this is if they if, and the people that review it are the umqua uh, umqua people and and a lot of them are on the you know the u.s fly fishing team so they can all fish and so they're going to look at it and say well do I think I could catch a fish with this? And if they say no, it's not worth it to, for them to produce a fly that they're going to have to discontinue because nobody buys it because they don't work. So it goes through a, a battery of of people that really know what they're doing, like Russ Miller, you know, a U.S. fly fishing team, you know, uh, Josh Grantham, he was a U.S. fly fishing team member. All these people are know how to fish. So not only does it have to be look right, but it can't be so close to another pattern that they already produced that it's almost like a duplicate and and uh, and then you can't give them a fly like a midge that takes a half an hour to talk i mean no matter what you do i don't care if you can catch a million fish with that nobody's they're not going to produce it can only produce two in an hour you know what i'm saying they just you know for a fly that costs like 80 cents to a wholesaler um you know like a fly shop 
no, you just you can't sell it to them for you know a dollar fifty in you know you just you know or material that's too difficult to procure. Like if something is hard to get, you know, they won't do that either because it, it, it's a production problem. You know, and they just can't get certain type of materials that you know that are part of that makeup of that fly, and they just can't. They just it doesn't make economic sense to do something like that. So you know, it's 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 you have to be creative. You know, almost like a little bit artistic, and then also be able to you know tie something that actually works. And I think that's the hardest thing because I don't know you know people that are inventing flies. You know, if they actually you know, sample them as they should, because I won't, I won't submit a fly that I can't catch fish with, you know? So I just think uh, you, you just have to, you know, in all fairness to Umpqua or any other fly tying manufacturers, fly, fly, fly manufacturers, you know, you have to make sure, you know, that it actually works because basically they're asking you, can I catch fish with this fly before I start producing it? You know, and and if you haven't fished it much, or you know, you fish it with minimal success, I don't think it's fair to the 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 fly manufacturer to to, to do a big sale on it when it you know in, in reality you're not catching any fish with it. So it, it's it, it's a, it's a, it's pretty fun, but the, you know, as you know, if you if you tie flies that catch fish and you're using your patterns and you're catching fish with them, it's kind of it's got the cool factor. You know, you're you're just saying to yourself, wow this thing actually works you know and it should you should have relative relative confidence in 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 the fly you tie because you know you've thought about all this you know you've thought about you know is is this a is this going to be an effective fly and then you say well i think it is and then you fish it and it is then you know it's kind of telling you that what you've come up is going to work yeah really neat are you working on any new patterns right now I am. I am. I've got some some adult midge patterns that I'm tying. I'm going to submit, um, and then I've got some uh, modifications on uh, mayflies that I want to submit too. So uh, probably in the next month or so, I'm going to be turning in some. And I've got a, a caddis pattern I want to submit also. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very neat. Yeah, and, and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of folks don't know Phil. I, I've got to. I've got. Mm-hmm. I've been lucky enough to spend some time with you, but uh, you were a collegiate wrestler. Uh-huh. Uh, you want to, and it's kind of crazy, right? Cause like Maldonado wrestled, um, mm-hmm. you know, my, my buddy, um, Phil Montano at Flytrap was a college wrestler too. Tell uh-huh. us a little bit about your collegiate wrestling career. Well, you know what? I, I'll tell you my, I was, uh, I, I always, at best I was an average, uh, college wrestler, you know, at least I got a, a, a minimal scholarship, you know, I went to Cal State University Fullerton in California and uh, my my claim to fame is even though it was Division Two, at least I went to nationals. I didn't do very well, but at least I made it. You had to qualify, so I think I took third in the third in the state of California, and so I've qualified. So I I got in there, and as as quickly as I made made wrestled, I quickly as I left, you know, and I said, well, at least I made it, you know. And uh, you know what it is is uh, wrestling is a really a, a character building sport. I mean, there's, I, I don't think there's much, uh, a sport much more difficult boxing because boxing, you don't want to come in second place. You know, it's a, it's a bad sport to come in second place, you know, cause you get beat up, but you know, the hardest thing is to make weight and, and, and that type of thing. I mean, 
uh, I, I've made, uh, I wrestled in high school, I wrestled 123. In college, I wrestled 134. And uh, and people say, oh, do you think you ever make 134? I say, yeah, sure, I can make 134. I'd be in the grave for about three months. And then about then, I, if you took me out and weighed me, I'd probably weigh 134. But I remember, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we had tournaments and never could eat. You know, at 134, I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty light, you know, and um, I I just remember for days not eating or drinking anything and working out, trying to make weight. And and the plastics you had to wear, neoprene um, plastics to sweat more and how many jacks and burpees I've done in the sauna in my life and how many cities I ran, ran, ran around to make weight. But I'll tell you something about, you know, wrestling is, is, is a... Um, is a as a tough sport and if i always say if you can if you can wrestle even in high school uh and and you're serious you know you're going to be a better person because after you've cut weight there's not much things that are going to be tougher than that one than to give up water and and food you know so um and even then i think wrestling i think I wanted to, I always wanted to be, a, you know, umquatire, you know, so I, I set that on my, as a goal and, uh, you know, I made it, you know, and again, Rick Takahashi encouraged me because my No Mercy Miz is the first fly I tied in. I, I mean, I turned in and they didn't, they didn't take it the first time around. And I thought, Oh, I said this, I, and I knew the fly was a good fly because I caught so many fish with it, but I think it was not so exciting, you know, so it didn't have what, what they call bin appeal. It had effectiveness, but it didn't have bin appeal. So, you know, that that's kind of the um I don't know. That that's kind of what that's kind of how I look at all these things, you know, and and uh and and new patterns and and and, and you know, wrestling. I mean wrestling, I mean I don't know, you probably know a few wrestlers, but you know, like uh, Joe Humphreys was a wrestler for Penn State, you know, and and uh, you, you'd, you'd be surprised how many people have wrestled in their tires. But I think that you can set goals and, you know, and, and, and follow through with it. I think that makes a, I think that's, I think that's a good thing, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know anybody that's wrestled that is a like is a real jerk or anything you know they're they always are they're always they're always kind of successful whatever they do i don't know if you know anybody well, i was gonna i was gonna joke with you and be like well i wrestled phil um oh oh well look at you you're an attorney you're you know you're you're well known you know i mean you see and that who knows you know i mean that just that little bit of wrestling that you were in might have might have with that switch that made you, you know, study your law and uh, and pass the bar test and all those things just because you, know, you went out for stupid wrestling. Yeah, I was basically a tackling dummy. I, I did it to uh, <laughs> uh, to, uh, to to diversify my academics. If we're going to be honest, so I, I wrestled for three years. Uh, okay. Then. Yeah. Well, and I I didn't come back for my senior year because I didn't want to get my letter uh, just for being on the team for four years, but. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. So, so did you ever have a temptation to go to the WWF or the WWE? Oh yeah, yeah. As big as I am, you mean? Yeah, uh, I would be definitely. I would be the throwing dummy. Yeah. Uh, Hulk Hogan would grab me and just throw me out of the ring into the fifth row of seats. You know? Yeah. No, you, uh, you have to be quite. And and surprisingly, some of those guys that were national champions, even one was an Olympic gold medalist. You know, so. You know, I guess what? Where do you go once you you know 
you you've won a gold medal in the Olympics or you won a national championship, you know, what do you do? You know, a lot of them get into that, you know, and and actually make a decent living doing that. But, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and then some people go and they basically, basically hustle pool and foosball to support their fly fishing habit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, people that are I di- really diverse, uh, Marvin, they, they get into foosball and and uh and, and uh, pool. So so foosball I was very serious in it. You know, I used to play in tournaments and I was quite good. And uh and but when when uh, no, I didn't make it monies to buy fly fishing equipment that was before then but what it did do was it supplied me with beer because in in those days in the 70s there was a foosball table in any bar that you went to and there were foosball foosball tournaments in all these different bars so you know you'd win you know a few hundred bucks you know and or if you play, you, we used to go to uh, you know bars that had foosball tables, and people would be playing all the time. Well, you know, it was like I was a ringer, you know, because I, I mean I played professionally. I mean, you know, I probably won I don't know fifty, sixty grand in foosball, you know, and 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 probably thousands of pitchers of beer because a lot of times we just played for beer. And and I remember one time I was with my friend and and uh, and we had like twenty five pitchers on the bar bar. Uh, on the bar and somebody asks oh would you mind us if we we drank a few beer you know a pitcher and says there's no way we're going to drink 25 pitchers of beer you know please i mean we were drinking them out of the pitcher we wouldn't even pour them in the glass in the mug we just drink straight out of the pitcher yeah it supplied me with beer money that's for sure (laughs) very neat and before i let you go tonight phil you want to let folks know do you have any other projects you're working on you want to share with our listeners yeah, I do. Uh, um, I've been working with um, Orvis Park Meadows, and uh, we put on this tying uh, event, and it's been quite successful. I think, other than the fly fishing show, it's probably you know it's a distant second. You know, we, I mean, we've had you know uh, Landon Mayer and Pat Dorsey and Greg Garcia and and uh, and all these you know really we. One thing about Colorado, we have a lot of good tires. And I, I was able to get all these people, you know, all these tires at Park Meadows. And we had almost 1,500 people come through in one day. And it, it was pretty amazing. But, yeah, I, we just have a good time, you know. Uh, and, and so I'm going to do that again this year. And then I'm tying at the fly fishing show at the uh, Gaylord. I'm tying at uh, um, you know, the ISE show in the Denver Convention Center. I'm tying at the uh, at uh, Front Range Anglers. I'm tying at, you know, Laughing Grizzly. I'm tying up in. I'm tying at uh, the Salbug Roundup in Arkansas. I'll be tying at the, you know, the uh, Wasatch Intermountain Fly Tying and Fly Fishing um, Expo in in uh, Utah. <clears throat> so yeah, I, I, I'm and then I'm tying at a lot of the, you know, the um, the the um, oh um, the uh, Trout Unlimited events, they have above them. So we'll be tying there. And, you know, I usually post it on either Instagram or uh, Facebook. And uh, and then if they look up my name, if they search my name, a lot of times they'll, I, I have where I'll be tying and stuff like that. So, you know, if people want to see me, you know, tie, and, you know. And then we do this um, through uh, Trout Unlimited. We do a tie along every third Tuesday of, of the month. And I think the next one is December 20th, but it's at the Discovery Tap House. So, you know, we just a bunch of 
guys that like to and women that like to tie you know and and just kind of tell tell fishing lies and stuff like that we we just get together and just just have a good time you know for from six to eight you know and sometimes goes a little longer than that but yeah it's just a bunch of people that have a you know uh you know have a passion for fly tying and fly fishing we just a bunch of us get together and just tie a few flies you know and it's fun it's just, it's always fun to hang around with people that have a light passion and uh so yeah so if they look on if they they don't even have to participate with facebook or instagram if they just you know type in my name it'll come up yeah you know, it, what's going on yeah and is that the west denver tu that you're tying with like that uh-huh it yeah. is yeah it is and, and so yeah and so if phil if folks wanted to follow your adventures and learn more about you and kind of follow you on social mm-hmm. media where should they look i would say you know just if you go to fucking just type my name phil Iwane. It'll it'll pop up, and then it kind of. Sh- I I do mostly fly fishing stuff on my uh, my Facebook and Instagram. I don't too much. I don't do too much about the family stuff because people are more interested in the fly fishing than you know Phil's children and stuff like that. But mostly, if you look at my Facebook and Instagram, it's pretty much all fly fishing. So yeah, got it. And uh, and you're accepting donations because you only have four hundred dollars worth of fly time material, right? That's exactly. I need to buy $400 more. I really need some hackle. Fair enough. Um, any particular flavor that you want to share with folks? So maybe Santa Claus will bring that to you. Oh, you know what? I, I honestly think that I pretty much have everything I'll ever need and more. Yeah. Sp- especially dubbing. I, I, I looked in my dubbing drawer, which is a huge drawer. And then I, I said, well, holy cow, look at it. I have quadruplicates of each material. And I said, well, why is that, Phil? And I said, well, it's because dubbing is expensive. It's no big deal to spend 2 or $3 on a packet of dubbing if you can't find what you need. So, you know, I probably have doubles and triples of everything in, in this big drawer. And then I just put my material that I use all the time in, in these you know, dubbing boxes that have you know, like, like maybe 10 or 12 little slots you can put it in there so I don't have to go looking through a big drawer trying to find my dubbing, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like sometimes, you know, if it, certain things are inexpensive, you just buy them because, you know, you think, well, I'm surely it must be running out of camel thread. I've tied enough, no mercy midges, you know? So you look and you have like five spools of it, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> honestly, I think, I think, uh, you know, after, after $500 worth of material, I think I've got everything I need. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, listen, Phil, I really appreciate you spending some time with me this evening. Thank you so much. I I really enjoyed this. I it, it came out. I felt like it came out better than I thought it was going to be. I was going to read my notes and everything, but I didn't have to do that. Yeah, no, you were great. Well, listen, I really appreciate it. Take care and be well, Phil. All right, thank you. Have a have a merry Christmas. You too. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. And don't forget to head over to www.flyfishingshow.com to check out all the show dates and get all the show information. Tight lines, everybody.